Welcome to the Creative Play and Podcast Network. Join us as we review our favorite RPGs, collectible card games, MMOs, video games, PC games, and bring up interesting topics and things that we'd like to share with everyone. Sit back and enjoy the show. This is Kelly, a.k.a. Trixie from Ragnarok and Roll, assigned to Ragnarok Story, and Tilda Wimblewick from D&D Journey of the 5th Edition. First off, I would just like to say thank you to everyone for listening to our varied adventures, as well as for rating us on iTunes and RPGpodcast.com. If you haven't rated us yet, we would greatly appreciate it if you could. And if you're looking for more ways to support our efforts, we are now on Patreon, a great site where you can help us continue making more podcasts, as well as some special surprises for our patrons. If you can, please look us up at www.patreon.com cppn. Every little bit helps. And again, thank you for listening. Welcome back to the Creative Plan Podcast Network. Today I'm lucky enough to have an interview with John Paul Reed author of Of Reckless Ambitions, hello. as well as your news book, Pivotal Ruckus. Hello, hello. Hi, John. You're the well-known author of the Medford Family Chronicle series that starts with Reckless Ambition, and so far your third book is Pivotal Ruckus. Yes, sir. My first book came out in uh, December of 2015, and I've had two books out since then. And yes, my third most recent book is Pivotal Ruckus, The Medford Family Chronicles, Volume 3. Yes. So, John, first and foremost, I'd like to thank you for being my guest thank on the you. show. Why don't you tell our listeners a little about yourself? Okay. I grew up in New Jersey, Montclair, New Jersey, though I'm living now in Phoenix, Arizona. I'm actually a fundraiser for nonprofit organizations, and I've also done some special education teaching as well. Three master's degrees, and uh, I'm still looking for new opportunities, but I started my company Palomar and Adventures LLC in March of 2015, um, and uh, I'm delighted to say that uh, I've been I've been having fun running my own company. And uh, I moved to Phoenix about almost four years ago now, uh, July of 2013, and um, I have a exciting story to tell you about how I got started in Dungeons and Dragons. I started playing the game way back when I was only 10 years old in 1975. I played I played for many, many years. I played all of the editions of Dungeons and Dragons. I'll be happy to talk about that also. But um, it's quite a story how I got actually into books. Now, my first book, which came out actually, correction, which came out in March of 2015. I think I said December 2015. 15 before March of 2015 was called Reckless Ambitions, The Medford Family Chronicles, Volume 1. My second book came out in December of 2015, known as uh, Capricious Deities, The Medford Family Chronicles, Volume 2. And my third book came out in August of 2016. So I've, I've been a prolific writer over the last two years. Now, I've played many other role-playing games, but I've always ended up doing Dungeons and Dragons. I've uh, always enjoyed uh, all of the editions, so fourth edition was really not very well designed. I prefer uh, first edition AD&D, which is the original standby. Uh, I love 3.5 edition D&D, and uh, I even enjoy Pathfinder, if you're familiar with that. uh, uh, Pathfinder has even more detailed rules, and uh, I'm currently running a game with that right now in Glendale, Arizona. Uh, But what... 
Uh, what else would you like to know, Jim? I, I could go on forever if you let me. <laughs> <laughs> of course, you know, I love all the editions of D&D, but currently our podcast group is doing 5th edition. And, of course, it's a fun thing to go out and look back at the old editions and see how things have progressed. Every edition has its high and its lows, but I've always been a big fan of D&D. Yes. <laughs> yes, indeed. I, uh, I um, again, uh, Gary Gygax and uh, Michael Kay and uh, David Arneson, the creators of what we know of as Advanced Dungeons & Dragons, I think they're all incredible geniuses, and uh, I admire them all very much. And uh, my books... I finally decided to take literally decades of notes from previous adventures and characters and situations, and I decided to put all of this into a novel. Uh, The idea was take my original fantasy world, which I created over 40 years, but uh, uh, that's quite a story, uh, building a fantasy world from scratch and um, using that as a setting for my book. Now, um, of course, J.R.R. Tolkien, I believe, started our genre with the C.S. Lewis and the Chronicles of Narnia also, and um, I decided to uh, I decided to take the idea that Tolkien had. I created a fantasy world, and then I designed five thousand years of history for it. I I figured the history would increase everybody's fun and give everybody some context as to how my uh, books came together and where they sit in the actual story. Now, one of the fun things about AD and B. Uh, is that you can do all sorts of different settings. You can bring in all sorts of amazing characters, and uh, this actually gave life to my books. Now, um, what else? What else would you like me to go into more detail on, Jim? Well, this gets me to my question of what were your earlier ambitions when it came to writing? Who actually got you rolling into actually getting a book done for this? Were you just doing this for a gaming group or just for fun? Who who kicked you into actually getting a book going? Well, this is actually rather funny. From 1975 until 2007, I avidly played all sorts of D&D and other fantasy games. And It was in 2007 where I started my teaching career, and I didn't have time for gaming anymore. So I actually sold most of my materials. I wish I had some of them back now. And um, I actually gave up gaming for a couple of years. Now, what's interesting is in 2012... I was living in Peoria, Illinois, and some friends that I'd met there got me back into gaming. I I pulled out my notes. I pulled out my uh, Continent of Palomar, which which is the setting for my D&D games. And I started running a weekly D&D game, I think it was first edition, um, at a little store called Just for Fun in Peoria, Illinois. It's a a wonderful gaming store with extra tables for events and things. So once once a week, I think Monday nights, I started playing D&D again in 2012. Now, one of my friends brought his wife to play uh, play a game with us. And uh, I was nervous because I was so worried that uh, his spouse, Laura Thompson, and his name was Arthur, I was worried that Laura might be bored. She might not enjoy the game. She might get bored, and then she'd start working on Arthur, you know, why do you, why do you spend once a week uh, playing this game, uh, why don't you spend time more at home, you know, I, I was nervous about that, and boy, was I mistaken, Laura 
gym. Maura Thompson fell in love with it. She, she took to advanced Dungeons and Dragons like a duck to water. And she started going through all of my papers. She was like, John, this is wonderful. Look at all of these countries. Look at this big continent you have. This is fantastic. Anyway, she came across a short story that I had written years ago. I actually had a printout of it from uh, my computer years and years ago. I think I wrote it actually in 2006, 2007. Anyway, she came across this short story and she read it and she loved it and she said john this is wonderful where's the rest of it and i'm sort of like uh well uh laura um that's it i i haven't written any more to it yeah well <laughs> you know the old saying jim behind every great man there's a great woman uh nagging i mean uh, urging urging <laughs> him on yes yes urging him on well Laura got me into writing. She said she convinced me that I had great stuff. I had great ideas. I had great characters. I had this beautiful framework of a whole continent with two other unexplored continents and the Underdark, of course. And I had all of this in my uh, world dimension of Palomar. And uh, I also had an interesting concept that she just thought was really fantastic. I called it the Game Masters University. This is a a, a university of spellcasters dedicated to searching the multiverse, searching all the infinite um, multi-dimensions out there, searching for games to play, all sorts of games that would uh, augment and improve their spell powers. And uh, whether you're playing chess or whether you're playing global thermonuclear war, you know, these, these uh, wizards who travel the multiverse uh, studying everything from magic to spells to science to technology to build on their already incredible skills. Anyway, uh, Laura and I started writing in 2012. And um, it was kind of funny. I would write a chapter. I would send it to Laura. Laura would then study it, um, examine it, uh, proofread it, and give me ideas. And in 2014, am I going too fast or do you have any? No, no, you're fine. Okay. Okay, in 2014, I found a marvelous local publisher here in, um, right here in Phoenix, Arizona, Arizona Publishing Services, AZ Publishing Services. It's a medium-sized publishing company run by Miss Patty Holstrand. You may remember, uh, Jim, uh, Patty Holstrand was with me when we first met at the Tucson Comic Con in Arizona. And, uh, well, anyway... Uh, Patty loved my book. She loved the draft that I presented with her. And uh, she taught me a great deal about publishing and printing. First off, when I, when I and Laura, or when I gave Patty our uh, manuscript, she read it all, and uh, she called me in for a meeting. I'm like, wow, this is great. And, uh, she said, John, this is wonderful. We're going to cut your book in half. Now, Jim, when Patty first told me that, I freaked. I was like, oh, no, half of my story is crap. No one will ever read it. She only wants half the story. This is terrible. Well, when Patty finally calmed me down, she was like, no, 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 John, listen to me. Book one and book two. Oh. <laughs> anyway, Patty uh, walked me through the whole process of editing a book. Um, a lot of writers 
pour their hearts into their manuscript and every word is precious to them and they don't want to lose a thing. But guess what? Patty showed me with editing, proofreading, condensing, streamlining, I did not lose a single, I did not lose anything relevant to the plot. I only, uh, but she showed me how to take two or three pages and reduce that to two or three paragraphs. And she showed me that the manuscript I gave her uh, was easily good for two books. And uh, anyway, so um, it was really kind of amazing that uh, we, um, you know, again, we, um, by, by December, by uh, March of 2015, I can actually give you the exact date, March 2nd, 2015, um, uh, my uh, story, my first book was published and printed by Arizona Publishing. Now, this may sound rather elitist, um, James, uh, Jim. I, 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 I'm not slighting anyone who does the self-publishing route, but um, the trouble is when you self-publish, you can make a lot of mistakes, typos, uh, no, uh, you know, own, uh, usually very few people actually edit the work and uh, uh, self-publishing can, can not lead to the best quality. So I'm very glad that Patty Holstrand and Arizona Publishing was, were, was backing my project. I had with them, I have all the advantages of self-publishing. Uh, Patty never once tried to change my story at all. Oh, that's too violent. Oh, that's too that's too uh, uh, raw edge. Or oh, you, uh, that's too uh, bizarre for readers to understand or whatever. You know, Patty never did any of that. But uh, I had a medium-sized uh, publishing company behind me to help me with everything. People don't realize what is involved in publishing a book. Not only do you have to write the book, you have to design the cover. You have to set the margin so the uh, the printing of the book doesn't go right down into the cracks of the book. A lot of uh, self-publishing books do that. You've got to plan all sorts of things. You have to you have to get an ISBN number uh, from the Library of Congress. You have to get everything copyrighted. Oh yeah, you got to get everything copyrighted. Uh, you've got to. Um, you, you, uh, and Arizona Publishing helped me with all of this. Uh, Patty Holstrand was right there with me. This is what we need to do. We need to get this taken care of. Boom, 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 boom. Now I have another funny story about um, the covers for my book. I'm particularly proud of them, uh, Jim. I've really been blessed. Oh, you should be. I've really been blessed with the covers of my books, and I know you've seen them. Uh, uh, you want me to start into that right now? By all means, my friend, because those covers are all absolutely gorgeous. I love the way they came out. Yes. Well, it's kind of funny. When we were doing the, when we were getting ready to do design the covers, Patty and I were looking into all sorts of options. We were looking into photo shoots with actual models, you know, uh, people who would actually uh, dress up in costume and pose, okay? But this is really expensive. I mean, a, a typical photo shoot usually runs in the neighborhood of at least $1,500 or higher. You have to pay for the sets. You have to pay for the costumes. You have to pay for the models. And um, it's strange. You can't just point a camera, click click 10 shots, mm -hmm. and say, oh, we got it. You know, a, a photo shoot takes all day. You might take over, you might take over 1,000 photos, and... Uh, uh, and in the end, there can be only one. So, so, uh, so yeah. Um, 
Patty and I were trying to figure out what to do about this when a friend of mine suggested to me, well, John, there are a zillion artists, there are a zillion quintillion artists out at every Comic-Con you go to uh, who'd be glad to uh, design a graphic arts uh, 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 image or or picture or 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 art design for your books. And uh, Pat, Patty loved this idea. She was like, that's perfect, John. You're writing fantasy swords and sorcery books. This would be perfect for you. And I was thinking to myself, duh, why didn't I think of that? <laughs> right? you know? So Patty and I went to a very small convention in Phoenix, Arizona called Comic Expo. I'm afraid it's gone poof. You know how it goes, Jim. Some Some conventions make it, some don't. Some kind of stagger on for 10 years and sort of like half-life, you know, like, um, you know, just enough to keep going, but not enough to super prosper. Well, anyway, Patty and I went to this one convention and I just started walking around talking to artists. And by sheer chance, I ran into Mr. Steve Crompton. Uh, oh, he, and he designed, he designed the map for my, um, Palomar and continent. And, uh, he was a good friend of mine. And, uh, Steve recommended to me, two people who were at that convention, Chris Ennett, E-H-N-O-T, I hope I'm pronouncing it right, Ennett, Chris Ennett, who is a marvelous artist, and David Delante, uh, who is an inker colorer. Both of these gentlemen work for Zenoscope Comic Books. I'm sure you've heard of Zenoscope Comic Books. They, uh, they're the ones who put out the uh, uh, grim fairy tales and uh, uh, Robin Hood with a Y, Robin Hood, the uh, love... Love, love, lovely blonde archer wearing green with one, with, with one mysterious magic eye shooting all these evil monsters. And uh, Well, anyway, um, when I met Chris Ennett, I told him exactly what I wanted. I said, Chris, I want to give you a scene from one of my books, and I'd like you to draw um, a representation of it. You know, like a, the, the, you know, I want characters on the books. I want people to look at my books and say, oh, those are some of the characters – in this book, and ooh, look what's happening, you know, and uh, have have that as a, uh, a, you know, the cover be an actual scene from one of my books, and well, yes, I mean, nothing's free in life, I, I had to, I, I, but uh, Chris Ennett negotiated a wonderful, uh, we, we worked out a great deal, I certainly did not have to shell out uh, the original $1,500, $2,000 that I was afraid I'd have to pay uh, for the uh, photo shoot, and uh Anyway, uh, Chris very Chris designed Chris Ennett drew all three of my covers, and his friend David Delaney. I hope I'm I hope I'm saying this correctly. He was the inker or the colorist. He was the one who took uh, Chris Ennett's drawings and colored them. And if you look at my, uh, this is one reason why I'm thrilled to pieces with my covers. My covers are almost three-dimensional. There's shadings in there. There's shadows. There are actual um, changes in color. Like if you're looking at a character's arm, like uh, there's a change in color if they're moving. Or, uh, you know, the, the background looks, I, I, I wish I could find a way to share, share what I'm talking about with the readers now. But I'm very, very proud of my covers. And hey, I'm going. I'm I'm going to Chris Sennett and uh, David Delante for my fourth book, and uh, I'm actually one third of the way into my fourth book. <laughs> but, uh, oh, don't worry. I'm definitely going to include the pictures of the cover art because I love the way that they styled and colored that artwork. I mean, it, it just pops with color. 
Yes, it's funny. Patty Holstrand, she was just thrilled to pieces. She was just like, wow, these are fantastic. And you know what? No one has ever said to me, well, gee, you have a pretty girl on each of the books. And I'm, I'm sort of like, duh, those are exciting covers. <laughs> And they're they're all scenes right out of my books. You know, they're not, you know, it's not just, oh, let's put a pretty girl on the cover just for the heck of it. They are all definite scenes right out of my books. And uh, I call that good marketing. uh, uh, You know how some people are. (laughs) Oh, are you kidding? The cover work is amazing. I mean, like in Reckless Ambition, when you look at it, you see that there's the guy laying on the ground with an arrow on his back, and it immediately tells you you're right in the middle of a story that you want to know more about. I mean, it's a great, impactful scene. It's, yeah. <laughs> yeah, right. And uh, uh, on the first book, you, you have the young nine-year-old boy, Neshel, who shot down that guy. <laughs> you know, I mean, um, Neshel becomes quite a hero just because he was in the right place at the right time, and he was actually to rescue the princess from being kidnapped or worse. <laughs> like, and, and all of this is just one part of the very, very first book I've done. Now, I could go into detail forever about all three books. Uh, which one would you like me to stress now? My newest one that's out, uh, Pivotal Ruckus? How about uh, Pivotal Ruckus? With If you can try to do some spoiler-free intros so that way uh, you don't give away too much. Okay, yes. And uh, what, what's amazing is, okay, spoiler-free, this will be tough. But but uh, but uh, if, if I told you that a, a ravening, evil, gigantic purple dragon with a with a laser beam breath weapon was on the cover of Pivotal Ruckus, you wouldn't believe me. But uh, let let's uh, going back to the story. Um, the, uh, the, now the my my first and second books are definitely connected. Um, yes, you could read either of them and get a good story out of it, but it certainly would help to read the first book first and then the second one. Now, my third one, my third one is, is definitely in the Palomaran continent, and there, there are some crossover characters from the first two books, but my third one is also a standalone story. Someone could pick up book three and read it, and get a really good story without, you know, without, uh, oh my goodness, what's going on? Who are these people? You know, uh, like, like some books are with the previous sequel or previous books. You see what I'm saying? Now, um, Pivotal Ruckus is set out in the boonies, out in the two forsaken islands. While these islands are only four days sail north from the uh, the imperial capital, Paladon City. No one's really taken much interest in them. Why? On the western Forsaken Islands, supposedly, an evil, fearsome, uh, nasty, purple dragon lives on the western island, uh, and uh, most of the humans live on the eastern island, on the, on the, in the small town of Baton, on the eastern Forsaken Island. Now, this uh, little town, is, it's out in the boonies, as I said, only about maybe... 500, 600 people in the start of the book. And several things happen at once. A, a huge humanoid invasion armada from the north. This, this was foreshadowed in my previous books, but this huge humanoid ar- armada fleet is sailing down from the north to attack Palomar. And of course, they're going to go after the Forsaken Islands first. Uh, on top of this, uh, somebody actually 
uh, discovers adamantine, a, a rare, strong metal that you can make the finest weapons out of uh, on the island. And, uh, 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 so you, what you really have is a rather exciting boom. You almost have what we would call a gold rush, if you will. And uh, the, the inhabitants of this island are like, wow, this is great. But um, uh, they're constantly worried, will this bring out the dragon? Now, the purple dragon, supposedly, according to local memory, has destroyed the town uh, five times in as many hundred years. Like every hundred years or so, the dragon would come out, destroy the town, and disappear again. And uh, many people would wonder why. Now, I'm afraid to go into more detail because I might actually – I don't want to spoil the story. But, uh, of course, you have the you have the young lovers, you have the uh, – uh, the, lo- the local the uh, local local captain of the lo- of the local shipping company, and uh, uh, all of a sudden you've got all of these people arriving on the island. Uh, Ooh, this is great! We want to buy land here, and uh, a bre- a brand new noble actually arrives from Paladon City as the new feudal lord of the Forsaken Island, and, you know, uh, and of course. Uh, of course, the dragon gets involved, and you've got this major humanoid fleet coming down from the north. I think I've got a very exciting story. And uh, one of the reasons why the game is actually known as Dungeons & Dragons is because dragons in the original intent were the strongest, most powerful, most magically oriented, most fearsome monsters in the whole game. So uh, when, in uh, two-thirds into the book, when I have two dragons dueling uh, to the death, uh, you know, that, 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 that right there brings the house down, even, even as the uh, humanoid armada fleet is closing in on the defenders. So <laughs> I'll, I'll, I, if I say much more, I'll start spoiling stuff. So, uh, but uh, I will say this, that um, uh, the, the one, one, two messages I try to convey in all of my books, that faith is a good thing and that having a little faith in what you're doing, why you're doing it and how you're doing it is important. And in addition to this, of course, I always talk about the uh, stupidity, if you will, of racism. I believe racism is one of the most heinous evils in world history. And more people have died because uh, more people have been killed because they, because people thought they were not as, they were not as worthy as they were to live. And I think racism is the height of stupidity. And in all of my books, with so many different races and species of beings, whenever they seem to work together, things seem to, things seem to work out right. (laughs) Um, And and these are the messages I try to convey with my books. Now, where would you like me to go from here, Jim? I I can go all night if you would let me. So it's true. I mean, from reading the first two, I've yet to finish the third one. The wife still has the Kindle that's got the third one on it. But cooperation is the key to so many things in life. Whenever groups come together and people cooperate, things get accomplished and progress is made. Amazing things happen. Yes. Exactly. So from the historical point of view, what draws you to the fantasy genre? Well, um, okay, uh, one, of the reasons, one of the reasons why I love the fantasy genre is that um, it, it helps rekindle my faith. 
Every time I look in the newspaper, uh, in the real world, I see terrible, horrible, disastrous things happening. It, 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 it always makes me want to wonder what could be possible if people had a little more faith, if they tried a little harder, if people were more willing to say, hey, let's solve this problem. Not, not, let's, not just, uh, let's not just throw money at it and put it on the back burner and forget about it. And uh, I, I've been maniacal about history, Jim. I, uh, two of my master's degrees and my bachelor's degree were all in world and U.S. history. People ask me all the time, where do you get such inspiration and plots for your books? And I keep telling them, all those boring history books that you didn't want to read in middle school or high school? Okay, George R.R. R. Martin, God bless him, the uh, guy who... Uh, handles the Game of Thrones books. He does the same thing. You go through wonderful history books, uh, history of the Roman emperors, a history of Scotland, the history of the czars in Russia. I mean, my goodness, you can, uh, Chinese emperors. You can, get, you can get books and books and materials that you can add to a fantasy world to give it, to give it that rich detail. What draws me to the fantasy world is I think you can bring in almost any genre. Uh, with time travel, interdimensional travel, I mean, you you could you could have a game master's university wizard uh, begging his superiors, "Oh, can I drop that nuclear bomb on him? Can I?" You know, like, you know, like, uh, that, I'm foreshadowing my fourth book a little. I mean, you know, and uh, you know, uh, let's play interdimensional thermonuclear war. And the computer responds, would you not like to, rather to play a game of chess instead? <laughs> okay, I, right. Anyway, um, but yes, um, I, uh, I see great potential in the fantasy genre. Now, it is true, Jim, I admit it. The fantasy, swords, and sorcery science fiction genres are the most crowded right now. Everybody wants to be the next J.K. Rowling or Isaac Asimov, but uh, there's... There's an infinite variety in these books. Now, I want to get philosophical, philosophical with you a second. And I mentioned, this, I mentioned this, I think, in my second book, in the author's afterward. Very dangerous when the author shares his thoughts. But um, when I was a boy, one of my dearest friends, um, Mark Elfenbein, uh, he had a huge house. And uh, uh, yes, you could almost, in this house, you could almost expect to find a wardrobe in every room that would take you to Narnia, okay? But uh, you're going to laugh at this. His bathroom fascinated me. Now, why? In his bathroom, he had three or four mirrors all angled around the sink. And if you stood washing your hands or face in the sink, you could look to the right or to the left, and you could see at least 50 of you different angles staring at, at everybody else. You see what I'm saying? Uh-huh. Infinite and, possibilities. Right. And, like, you know, I used to say, hey, look, there, there are 50 other John Reeds and 50 other parallel dimensions uh, all working together for stuff. You know, <laughs> anyway. Um, and uh, I love stories of the multiverse, what I call the multiverse, uh, multiple dimensions. Um, Michael Moorcock and his Elric of Melnibony series has been a big inspiration to me. Uh, good heavens, C.S. Lewis and the Chronicles of Narnia. Uh, uh, and hey, uh, people ask me all the time, one last thing about Game of Thrones, which are George R.R. R. Martin, who I admire very, very much. 
people ask me all the time, are your books like Game of Thrones? And my response is, no, I don't kill off all the characters. You know, it's not, it's not all doom and gloom and despair and we're all going to die. And, you know, I, I try to have some humor. Uh, not all of my characters get happy endings, but a couple do once in a while. I mean, you know, it's, uh, um, I, I look for that detail. To maximize everybody's fun, Jim, you've got to have detail in a story. Um, like one detail, like, uh, of course, I've got the typical tavern, the drunken kitty cat tavern. And a detail in there is that, okay, if you get so sloppy drunk that you fall over and pass out, the locals would say, aha, that person has fallen down next to the cat again. <laughs> you know, because, uh, you know, that, that would be a local euphemism for just getting so drunk you pass out. <laughs> so it's that kind of detail that makes books fun and makes people laugh. And, you know, once in a while, I'll have in the background uh, to, to the Titan twin bouncers, these half-ogres who try to pretend they're humans. Uh, oh, God, hey, fellas, you got to toss out Rob Jenkins. He's fallen down next to the cat again. You know, I mean, I can have this as an aside with uh, some other major plot in the offing. And uh, readers reading my books would, would uh, you know, after, after it's presented the first time, they'd be like, oh, yeah, so so that guy actually passed out from drinking too much. Oh, dear. <laughs> you know, it, it sounds silly, but it's this richness of detail that makes a book fun. And I, Jim, I wanted to write books that I would enjoy reading. My books are intended for ages 12 and up. Uh my books are definitely not erotica. Uh, uh, most of my sex, I think, is off camera. But uh, I, I just am so tired, sick and tired of young adult books where you have a whole trilogy and the big climax at the third, end of the third book is when the guy actually kisses the girl. <gasps> oh, my God. Yeah, I mean, um, I'm tired of that. Um, there's there's a lot there's a sexual element to my books. Hey, if you're if you're a hotshot warrior and you suddenly run into a pretty pretty damsel, you know you're not you're, you're gonna be like, wow, she's stunning. You know, I mean, you know, I mean. Um, now, granted, yes, I have sex in my books. It's not uh, it's not overdone or shocking. Uh, another reason why I think my books are for twelve and up is I do have some intense battle scenes. Um, I mean. The, one of the one of the big traps, and so far I've managed to avoid this. But one of the big traps in many fantasy books, I think, is when it all boils down to a sword fight between the good guy and the bad guy. Whether it's a lightsaber duel or a sword fight, you know, you've got this. Aha! Gee, I wonder who's going to win. <laughs> Of course, everyone. Of course, everyone knows who's going to win when you've got the good guy fighting the bad guy in a sword duel. Somehow, Jim. Somehow, I've always avoided uh, my books relying on a sword fight at the end. You know, it's always something different. 
you know, uh, it, it may be a huge battle. It may be a sea fight. It may be like many, many different sailors slamming away at each other with one. Uh, yeah, I'm not afraid, as you know, I'm not afraid to kill off a character or two if it's, uh, if it's dramatic and uh, relevant to the story. I do not kill off characters for no reason. I think you'd agree with that. Oh, definitely. But, all... when I, but when I kill off a major character, you know, it has a huge impact on everybody else, and everybody else is, wow, it changes their quote-unquote story lives, and they have to deal with this. <laughs> oh, definitely. I mean, when, when, when death happens, it's an organic transition, and it's actually felt and rippled through the entire fantasy. It, it's, it has meaning. Right. Do you do you remember my second book? Let me give an example on this. My second book has a, a very sympathetic and uh, well-loved character. My my publisher Patty Holstrom was furious at me when I killed him off. But uh, I have this character, General Paul Tennyson. Um, he's the best friend of the new emperor. I mean, these guys grew up together. They uh, they adventured together. They're, they they went through the ranks. They they are it for Palomar. Now, uh, here's the tro- here's the problem. His best friend asks Tennesol to arrange the young Nick Armand's murder, uh, and Tennesol is thinking to himself, "Hmm, I might be the uncle or father of this guy." I don't quite say it this bluntly until later, but uh, the idea is that he, he's agonizing to himself. Do I, do I follow my orders and obey my emperor and my country, or do I, do I commit uh, filicide or nepoticide or one of the other sides? I mean, the, God, the, the immortals hate uh, uh, all of, you know, family murder and family betrayal. You know, like, you know, what what do I do here? Do I, and uh, it's that kind of presenting my characters with moral dilemmas. Like, oh, crap. Either, whatever I decide, I lose on this. You know, it, this is the stuff that I think my books are incredibly strong with. And uh, uh, it's funny, in, in this particular uh, story plot, and I, I can say this without spoiling anything, um, uh, when Tennyson refuses to kill Armand, uh, Ar- Armand, of course, is a young Imperial Guardsman messing around with uh, the, the Emperor's lovely daughter. And, uh, <laughs> anyway, well, uh, put it this way. In the, in the Judeo-Christian Bible, many people know the story. Uh, I'll, I'll put it this way without spoiling anything. Many people know the story of King David and Uriah the Hittite. King David wants... Uh, uh, Uriah's wife. So he orders people to uh, put, place Uriah in the forefront of the hottest battle and then retire from him so that he's slain, right? Well, I was thinking, let's turn this around a bit. What if Uriah the Hittite, or in this case, Nick Armand, what if he survives the attempt and suddenly finds himself in charge of the whole army and, 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 disco- and discovering Hey, the emperor tried to kill me. What would happen? <laughs> yeah, uh, so one, one could say in my book, too, as you may remember, I have this big plot about uh, one could call, one could say it Uriah Triumphant. <laughs> like you're, 
<laughs> well, and let's not forget your your soldiers seeing you survive through a horrible situation that they know it's going that can cause kind of a, a martyrdom. Yeah. Yes, it can. It, it, it can start not only martyr, martyrdom, but uh, hero worship. I mean, uh, we, we, we all know how General David Eisenhower, uh, Ike, how he uh, led the invasion of D-Day in World War II. Hooray! He's wonderful! How do you think he ended up our president? Exactly. People love a war hero. <laughs> so, right. I mean, and what, that's the kind of stuff that inspires people. Right. But, you know what? People, people, very few people... Very few people now are interested in um, James Longstreet. He was uh, Robert E. Lee's right-hand general in, uh, the, in our American Civil War for the Confederate side. And, and it's a shame because Stonewall Jackson, uh, General Thomas Stonewall Jackson, he gets all the attention. Everyone knows General Jackson. Why? Because General Jackson, he wasn't afraid to ride out in front of the troops and say, uh, when, when his soldiers are scared out of their minds and they're thinking, uh, you know, I don't know if I want to charge that cannon barrage, Stonewall Jackson would ride out there and say, come on, boys, let's go for it. You know, like, <laughs> and, and it's funny, too, because James Longstreet did that as much, if not more, than um, – than uh, Stonewall Jackson. Yet, after the war, uh, Longstreet, who by chance happened to be a good friend of Ulysses Sam Grant on the other side, he took a couple of uh, um, he took a couple of jobs from Grant, including ambassador to Turkey. And uh, uh, many many people regard General Longstreet as a traitor to the South because he later became part of. Uh, President Grant's administration and the Republicans uh, later in the 1870s. So, you know, uh, all this stuff is great stuff, and you can put it in a fantasy book so easily. <laughs> yeah, it's like when I first started reading, you know, Game of Thrones. I joked that this is the Hundred Years' War that I'm reading. I mean, I've I've heard this story before. Yeah, and, and oh, I, let, let let I'll reveal the secret of George R. R. Martin. Hundred Years' War. War of the Roses, and A History of Scotland. Almost anything in any of his books you can find just from these areas. <laughs> and and I, 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 I'm jealous of him, quite frankly. He beat me to it. So uh, I, turned, I turned other examples. I turned to Roman emperors. I turned to Tsarist Russia. I turned to Chinese emperors. I, you know, I, I, okay, I take a few things from England. But, uh, you know, the, the idea being is um, I'm drawn to fantasy because I've spent my youth playing Dungeons and, Dungeons and Dragons and all these other fun games, and why not share some of my fun with my readers? And that's exactly what I try to do. <laughs> Thank you, Jim. Now, okay, I'm, I'm, I, can, I can go on forever. What, what would you like to talk about next? Okay, so, we, so we've covered the, the good things and the great things. What was the hardest thing for you to write in this last book? Well, the same thing that's the hardest for writing all of my books, turning them over to the editors. Bom, 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 you know, uh, when, when, you, when, when you sweat and bleed and you put everything into every sentence and the book is perfect, can't we just print it as it is? No, no. Uh, we've got we've to make it better. Let's take that paragraph and reduce it to two sentences, uh, and it'll say everything you're, you want to say or uh, include. This is why it's so important to work with a publishing company. Uh, I, 
I know it's elitist to say any dope can self-publish, but uh, if you take the time to find a publishing company like AZ Publishing Services to uh, say, hey, we'll help you edit it, we'll help you proof it, we'll help you get the ISBN number, we'll help you get the copyrights, we'll help you design your covers, we'll help you figure out how many pages the book should be, how long the chapter should be. Um, it's funny, I, <laughs> my chapters were incredibly long originally. My chapters originally for my, my whole manuscript was uh, with basically bo- both books one and two now. My whole manuscript was only about 12 chapters. And it was Patty who told me modern readers don't like huge chapters. They like to be able to read a chapter quick uh, when they've got like a half an hour to kill before they have to go, you know, they, they, uh, and so, Hey, guess what? All three of my books now have like 24 or 25 chapters each. I never would have thought of that if I didn't have a publishing company behind me. Yeah. I mean, again, uh, uh, the hardest thing about writing books is, um, for me anyway, is figuring out how can I give Patty less work? Like, can I take that paragraph I just wrote in draft and, and streamline it, make it better, add a few twists and turns, but shrink the length? And uh, I, I, Patty says I'm slowly getting better. <laughs> See, you already said the important part was you want to write a book that you want to read. And, and in anything you do in life, that's one of the important things is make it for yourself and yes. then other folks will like it too. Yes. I mean, I, I wanted to write books that I would enjoy reading. And, um, again, uh, having the big climax where the, uh, uh, the 12 year old boy finally kisses the 12 year old girl or, um, Oh, the, the, the final sword fight with uh, Luke Skywalker and, uh, Darth Vader. Gee, I wonder who's going to win. I mean, I thought that, I thought that the first time I saw, uh, return of the Jedi back in, um, 1983. <laughs> and, uh, uh, you know, I, uh, well, yeah, I mean, you know, again, I, I, I wanted to write books that I would enjoy reading. Keep, keep the readers guessing, not, not uh, you know, of course, there's always, there's always room for sequels. Right? I mean, there, you can take any plot line from book one and you can see how it goes into book two and you can see how I even pull some of those for book three. But the idea is, yes, you want resolution. Yes, you want a, a big, shocking, smashing finish at the end. But try not to do. Try to be different about it. <laughs> you know, um, who, who? Okay, who would have thought of a say? Uh, my first book ends with a climactic psionic duel. Okay, my second book, of course, ends uh, well with my big Gettysburg battle, and then it's uh, the 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 big question near the end of the book is crap. Will Armand march on Paladon City and overthrow the Emperor? He sure has good reason to. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Gee, I'm in charge of the army now. Hmm, I wonder what I should do with it. You know, like anyway. Um, and uh, my third book, without spoiling anything, my third book, the message is clearly love conquers all. And uh, love makes us do really, really stupid things that we might not otherwise do. And love keeps people fighting, even when they have every reason not to. (laughs) (laughs) The mind and the heart are often strangers. 
Right. And when the brain shuts up and listens to the heart, somehow everything seems to work out. <laughs> and that's yeah. when magic happens. <laughs> and, 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 and as well as spell magic, psionics, and uh, many immortals looking on, placing bets on what's going to happen. Because <laughs> that's when life gets interesting. Right. Now, it is true. I can't resist a joke once in a while if something reminds me of a famous movie. In book three, I have a, without spoiling anything, with book three, I have a, I, I have a drunken, no-account local cleric that, sure, everybody asks him to uh, do funerals, do marriages, do christenings, but, you know, half of the island kind of laughs at him at points, like, you know, like, oh, you know that's, that's the preacher, you know. Well, uh, put it this way, um, if, if 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 this guy suddenly conjures twenty air elemental tornadoes to smash into an invading army, of course he's going to start singing, uh, singing strange and bizarre tunes involving being off to see the wizard. <laughs> I mean, I mean, at, at one point, I have this cleric stopping and actually hitting himself on the forehead. Wait, wrong dimension. Nobody here would get the joke. Fine, everybody just died. <laughs> Um, yes, I, you can see my you can see my style of humor in there, and um, oh, and I think I think in book two I finally do my famous uh, count quotes, like being a count of Palomar. One should take that into account, and one should be held accountable for all of the accounting that one does for their count. You know, I I do stuff like that in the books too. <laughs> yes, and. Uh, uh, I do this because, hey, I'll, I'll tell uh, one last thing I'd like to say on this on, on Jim, and uh, please don't laugh. But uh, someday when I'm dead and everything else I've ever done in waking life here is dead and forgotten by my nearest and dearest, someday, 250 years from now, some graduate student uh, with the with the Library of Congress, will be recataloging books and, uh, you know, reorganizing microfilms and even, put, even putting whole books now. They, they actually take e-books now and record them. You know, he's going to be reorganizing all this stuff, and he's going to come across my three or four books, hopefully, hope, hopefully 25 books. I hope, this, I, hope, I hope I'm not planning on dying anytime soon. But anyway, uh, my, this graduate student 250 years from now is going to come across my books. He's going to see the covers and he's going to say, wow, these look pretty cool. Now, yes, he might just reshelve them, you know, uh, uh, don't, you know but, but at least for that one instant, I'll live again. <laughs> so, yes, I believe, I believe writing books is the way to immortality. Oh, heck yeah. I mean, just looking at any library, the, it's, that's a truism that writing is immortality. Yes. And uh, the, the thought that somebody might actually read my book 250, 500 years from now, that, that to me is like, okay, it's worth doing. <laughs> oh, heck yeah. That's hugely inspiring. Now, um, I'm always looking to promote my books. You can, buy, you can find my books anywhere on Amazon uh, under my name, John Paul Reed, R-I-E-D. And uh, I have a website. Uh, I'm on a uh, I, my books are available on Kindle and ebook, and uh, you can you you can actually order my books from any local bookstore with my name, the title of the books, and the ISBN number. <laughs>
Ingram distributors. They're, they're tyrant monopolists, and they work with Amazon. But uh, they're the ones that do all the distributing for all the major bookstores uh, all over the world. It's kind of scary. But, uh, yes, I've, I've had a couple of readers in Australia uh, contact me after reading book one. Where's, where's book two? Where's book three? You know, uh, and, uh, well, anyway, uh, but yes, you can find my books anywhere on Amazon or on my website, www.palamarinadventures.com. Uh, Palamarin, that's P-A-L-A-M-A-R-A-N, palamarinadventures.com. I did that from memory. Yeah. <laughs> oh, and by the way, you'll be glad to know that on Amazon, all three of your books still are sitting at a strong five-star review level. So remember, folks, go out and review your author's books. Yes. I, uh, there, that, I Thank you for mentioning that, Jim, because I, I have a problem. It's kind of funny. I'm proud to say that in the last two years, I've sold over 1,500 books so far. I'm building a readership. People are enjoying my book. Every now and then I get an email note from somebody saying, hey, is book four out yet? But guess what? Uh, I've only had about 20 reviews on, uh, on Amazon. Uh, if I can get 50 reviews on each book, I get free advertising from Amazon. So I would say to everybody, if you read my books, please go to Amazon. Uh, give me a star rating if you don't want to write a book review. That's fine. <laughs> I know I've got lots of friends doing the same thing that it's really hard to get feedback and if if you really want to support someone please go to Amazon support them by giving them reviews and things like that you know cuz right. the algorithms nowadays require people to have reviews in order to be advertised and sent out there and shared with the world Right right and uh, again uh, I'm always looking for new ways to market and distribute my books um I sell them at conventions I attend for um, for uh, I sell them for 25 percent off. I sell them for only fifteen dollars a book, uh, and I usually and I always autograph them when someone does this. So uh, my books are usually uh, 1995. You know what? Even getting a barcode, people don't realize this. Even getting a barcode for your books that takes a lot of work. It's I'm so glad that Arizona Publishing, AZ Publishing, does that for me. <laughs> I mean, uh, any, again, it's a lot of work doing it yourself, and you can make a lot of mistakes. I, I, I had a friend of mine, without naming names, I had a friend of mine who uh, tried a self-publishing book, a self-publishing route. He spent five grand, and they didn't even give him a barcode to put on his cover. <laughs> you know, so, yeah. So it's sort of like, uh, but, 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 oh, you can do that yourself. <laughs> so that's why it's so important to have a uh, a publishing company behind you, and. Um, I'm very lucky that Arizona Arizona Publishing is so uh, eager to help new authors get started. Um, and they they can be found on azpublishingservices.com. Uh, Patty Holstrin will talk with anyone who has a completed draft. It doesn't have to be perfect. Uh, chances are authors think it's perfect and it's not. So, but if you have a completed draft of a book or even a collection of short stories, Patty will take it and try to help you with it. Uh, yes, there are charges. I mean, not, nothing's free in life, but um, once you get going, it's a lot of fun. And uh, I um, I can proudly say that my, my own company, Alamaran Adventures LLC, markets my books. And uh, I'm glad to have that uh, option, if you will, that, that having my own company, because uh, if I – if I'm ever in between jobs, uh, I, you know, I, I don't have a gap in my employment. I can just simply say, hey, I'm the CEO of my own company. Right, Jim? Yep. <laughs> so, I, 
So anyway, um, a couple. What advice would you give aspiring writers that are wanting to get into writing? And that includes game masters. Yes. yes. And you know what? Um, people also ask me about writer's block. I have a solution to that too. But um, uh, uh, first off, to answer your question, you know, the tough, you've got to be passionate about what you're writing. You've got to love. You've got to enjoy writing. You've got to, hey, I've got a great story. I can't wait to share it with people. And why is this so important? Uh, one time with book two, we had a disaster. Uh, not only did we have a, a spelling misprint on the title of the book, on the spine of the book, and I still tease Patty about that one. <laughs> that's, that's a one in a million oops. So I, yeah, but anyway, um, in addition to that, two chapters were blurred together, and some of the paragraphs, this was a printer's mistake, no, not, not Patty Holstrom. The printers actually mixed a couple of pages together out of order. And uh, Patty, Patty called me at 3 in the morning. John, we need to get this fixed. We need to rewrite chapter 20, the end of chapter 20. And why? Because uh, i got to go to press with this in four hours if we're going to get this ready for Phoenix Comic Con. See what I'm saying? And you, you've got to be passionate about what you're writing about, Jim, because if you have to get up at 3 in the morning to fix a printer's mistake so you can get the, everything printed correctly, you know, for the big convention you want to sell, you want to premiere your book at, <laughs> guess what? You got to do it. <laughs> now, uh, happy ending. I was able to fix everything. I got it all done at 5:45, and I sent it to Patty, and she, she, God bless her. Not very many publishers would do this. She stayed up from three in the morning until she heard from me again, so I could, so we could get this done. <laughs> you know, I, I will sing Patty Holston's Holston's praises. Shall I spell her last name? H U. L T S T R A N D T Holstrand. I think I got it right. <laughs> um, and uh, but yes, w with, without her help, without Laura Thompson's help, without some help from some other who become beta readers for me, it's great. I have I have three friends: Laura Thompson, Pam Noyes, and John Enfield. These people, when I run a chapter, I send it to them. They always get back to me with ideas, comments, proofreading, and uh, uh, hey, hey, John, you've got you've got the you've got the monster killing the character. You switch that. Oh, okay. <laughs> so um, I uh, um, well anyway, but uh, yeah, the they're they're wonderful people and they help me every bit of the way. Uh, did I? I hope I answered your question. I just hope I didn't overwhelm you. But the short answer is. You've got to be passionate about what you're writing about. So you can get up at three in the morning to deal with a printer's error or, you know, whatever, whatever other, what, there's all, wherever you go, whoever you work with, with any publisher, there's always, there's always some sort of disaster to fix. So you got to be, you got to be willing to, you got to be willing to drop everything and fix it. I mean, <laughs> so um, I hope that makes sense. It does. It does. Thank you. And it also sounds like uh, an important thing is to surround yourself with awesome people. Well, uh, you know what? Um, th there are a lot of awesome people out there, and that's why it's so important to work through a publishing company. Because if they like your writing, if they like what you're doing, if they're behind it, and if they support it, uh, you know, you can you can accomplish miracles. I I never dreamed I'd have three books out in only two years. I I thought once I got my first book out. You know, oh, okay, let's see if it sells. You know, oh, no. You, uh, uh, I'm so glad to have the publishing company behind me to help me market it 
distribute it, sell it, get uh, get get the things ready for Goodreads or for uh, uh, Amazon, the author page, or all this stuff. They, Patty, Patty and her friends have been wonderful with helping me with this. Um, now, do I have time to talk about writer's block? You do. I was just going to remind you about that. How do you deal with writer's block? Okay. Well, you know what's really funny? Um, I think writer's block is a myth. Um, I've never had it. And let me tell you why. Because I'm passionate about what I do, I build rich detail in my world of Palomar. Um, anyone can download my Palomar and continent map from my website. The way to avoid writer's block is try for realistic fantasy. What am I talking about? Hey, if, um, if Emperor Thomas IV uh, is looking through a spy hole in the, uh, in the castle keep and he sees uh, Armand messing around with his daughter, what's he going to think? What's he going to do? How is he going to handle this? Oh, he's not just going to like shut the peepholes and say, oh, what do I care? I don't care. Let, let, leave him alone. No, he's going to be like, wait a minute. That, pe- that peasant imperial guardsman scum is actually, uh, is actually working on my, is actually messing around with my daughter. <laughs> Let's take care of him. You know, like, uh, <laughs> uh, you know, again, I, whenever I, whenever I get stuck, whenever I get stuck momentarily, like, gee, what do I do next? I think to myself, well, uh, what would the character want to do now? How would, uh, what, what would be um, a really exciting turn to this character? What if, what if a character was presented with a terrible moral dilemma and they just didn't know how to solve it? Well, you know what? Hey, why not go to a spiritual figure, a, a religious cleric, and ask for some advice? And uh, let, let's say the religious cleric is like, divinely inspired and gives them an idea or let's say the religious cleric is like hey i could make some money out of this maybe i could manipulate this person somehow you see all the plot lines i just spat out without even trying oh heck yes basically you're saying be honest let the characters be honest and and be an honest character right exactly i mean anyone reading book one would realize that nicholas armand would never do anything to hurt his love you know, I mean, uh, and, uh, you know, um, one, one disaster after another, uh, they constantly are thrown together. <laughs> um, I, I don't want to spoil anything, but uh, uh, it's kind of funny. What Patty Holstrom once lamented when I set up a nice little assassination attempt on Lady Christina Medford, how she loved the, the, evil, uh, the evil Tanaka, uh, the ninja assassin who uh you know set up everything and found a way to sneak into the palace and be realistic about it you know i mean um hey you want to sneak into an imperial palace dress yourself dress yourself up as a scullery person you know someone who does the dishes or someone who's bringing in supplies and when the guards come up to you at the gate you're like hey i got all this fancy wine to the people in there let me bring this in oh sure fine go ahead you know (laughs) i mean you know they're uh, realistic fantasy, like be true to the characters, figure out, okay, what would, what would characters A, B, and H, what would they do right now, given the situation, and they realize, oh, crap, we're in trouble, or oh, crap, I know something I shouldn't, or oh, crap, um, I, I just, I, we, can't, we can't tell the emperor this, he, the heads we roll, you know, I mean, like, you know, <laughs> right, 
one of my favorite characters in my book, Dr. Andrew Numel. He is a simple palace gardener. He's in charge of all the gardeners making all the beautiful flowers and trees for the Imperial Garden. Where else would he grow his poisons? I mean, his beautiful flowers. And, uh, well, well uh, he's a doctor, and uh, he, he, he's a discreet healer at need. And guess what? This is the guy in charge of the Imperial Palomaran spy network. <laughs> <laughs> uh, in book three, I call him the more than emperor of the more than empire. If, uh, if Dr. Numa really wanted to, he could slay everybody in the imperial palace and declare himself emperor. And who would argue? <laughs> I mean, but, but hey, uh, okay, uh, here's something else from book one. I can say this without spoiling anything. Guess what? If your brother's cousin's uncle's father's brother-in-law's nephew uh, is a courtier in the Zemlon Temple complex, and you're looking for spies there, well, guess what? You find a way to get the brother's cousin's uncle's mother-in-law's son's brother. Uh, you find a way to give him some silver and say, hey, just I'll keep giving you silver every month if you just tell me what's going on there. Uh, sure. <laughs> One of my favorite characters in literature from actually Star Trek Deep Space Nine is Elon Garrick, the Cardassian tailor. Just as he was a, just a simple tailor, um, Dr. Numo is just a simple gardener. You know, I, well, anyway, one, one of the favorite lines that I remember Garrick saying, and I, I put it in the book, I put it in the book somewhere, I think it's in book one even. Sometimes the truth is merely an excuse for a lack of imagination. <laughs> <laughs> he he was a great character on that show. Yeah, right. And 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 what are you talking about? I'm just a simple tailor. Would you like me to fix those pants? <laughs> and then then when you see Garrick entering into the computer like top level Cardassian computer codes, yeah, you're like, gee, how did you know that? Oh, just your luck. I just thought you'd appreciate this on an aesthetic level. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, I um. Oh, uh, another element of Doctor Numel in my world besides Elam Garrett. Okay. Uh, I love the Firefly show, and the 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 evil character Nishka. <laughs> I don't know if you're familiar. You pay too much. Yes. Uh, exactly. Uh, like you know, like like uh, like now we will get to know the real you. <laughs> I mean. Uh, that, Dr. Andrew Numel does not enjoy torture. He does not torture people for no reason. He's just a truth seeker, and he wants to find the truth. And you will tell me, sir, you will tell me, sir, what the truth is when we are finished. <laughs> Again, um, I build on all of this. And uh, uh, one of my favorite characters in the book, if you remember, Susan Raintree. She's the granddaughter of Dr. Numel. She, she's constantly wondering, do we really have to do this? Do we, can't we be a, a kinder, gentler organization? And Dr. Numel is basically saying, but we found out the information that saved three of your friends' lives. What's the problem? It's the fastest way to the truth. You just have to do it. Right. Now, some people think that's the height of evil. But every every state, every government, anywhere, they, they they you cannot rule unless you unless you uh, get what you need to know. <laughs> yeah, every, every organization like that has somebody that does that job. Right, and uh, not only that, um, Mr. Spock of all people 
gave the perfect reason for this. The needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few or the one. So guess what? If you're the one and you know something that will save many people and you're a little reluctant to tell Dr. Andrew Newmore, he will find ways to persuade you. <laughs> and, and of course, I, I, I use both carrot and stick many times, and sometimes the carrot is much more effective than the stick. <laughs> so, I, I mean, um, but anyway, okay. Uh, you, now, Jim, while I've got you on the program here and while I can put you on the spot, what did you, what did you enjoy most about my first two books? And what, what did, what, uh, can you give me some tangible feedback? Who were your favorite characters? And what, what, did, what, what surprised and excited you reading my first two books? The big thing that I love with the overarching story of the first two books is the boy meets girl grows up together and that they slowly fall in love with each other as friends before uh-huh. they do it as lovers. It's 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 one of those deals of you honestly understand why he's not approaching the girl, but the it organically evolves uh-huh. over the arch. You have this unrequented love story that just happens without too much overpowering forcefulness. Yes. Just honest caring for each other story. Right. And excellent thing. And you do do a great job of using off-camera for the evolution of the relationship. So you know they become lovers, but it's all done off-camera. Or you, know, you, you, you know what's going on. Just, yeah. <laughs> right. And uh, thank you. <laughs> uh, I, I take it you were referring, were, were you referring to uh, Neshel and uh, Lisa in the second book? Yep, uh, exactly. Oh, yeah. I, I, think, I think they're perfect for each other. Uh, by, uh, again, I hope I'm not spoiling anything. With, with Neshel becoming a hero of the Palomaran Empire, he actually gets the chance to select a, a very aristocratic bride. And um, he, he's very reluctant to do so, but he kind of realizes, well, I'm I'm a count now. My life is changing. And um, the one he selects, I think, is perfect for him. He has all of the street smarts, the cleverness, and the, uh, you know, the, the common touch, while she has all of the aristocratic upbringing, and uh, she knows the ins and outs of the noble families. And, you know, she, 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 she uh, I, I, I'm actually thinking, I'm actually thinking of writing a book with both those characters ruling their city and their province. (laughs) Oh, yeah. They're a great power couple. She's got the court intrigue. He's got the street smarts. How can that go wrong? Exactly, and and uh, they uh, they're they're just at the right age where they can they can respect and learn from each other, and then later on it's sort of like, gee, I would have never figured that out if it weren't for for her or if it weren't for him. <laughs> can I can I ask you uh, to please finish uh, book three? I'm eager to know what you think. I want to know if I if when you finish chapter eleven, did I really get you? Did I really catch you off guard? Uh, a lot of people have been like, wow, I did not see that coming. Some of them have been like, I knew there was something going on with that character, but I wasn't quite sure. And, uh, hey, not only that, I, I have uh, chapter 16 and chapter 20 in the third book are also very notable. I, I'd love to get your feedback on the third book when you finish reading it, Jim. Oh, you can definitely count on that. I mean, we, we always chat on Facebook all the time, so I'll definitely get you my feedback, my friend. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and, uh, I 
Now, um, I am going to be at uh, Amazing Las Vegas Comic Con in June. For various personal reasons, I may not actually be at Phoenix Comic Con in May this year. Uh, I may have to go out of town. It's kind of a long story, but (laughs) you know how it goes when there are weddings and funerals and families and stuff. So, (laughs) yeah. But, um, but yes, uh, I I try to hit all of the major events uh, in Phoenix and around Phoenix. Uh, I definitely will try to get to uh, Tucson Comic Con this coming November. Uh, actually, Jim, I wanted to ask you: Can you help me find a, a free or next to free lodging in Tucson? People who'd be, uh, you know, save it would save us hotel expenses if you could help us with that. Oh, definitely. When the con gets closer, we'll I'll make some phone calls and, and see what and, we can work out. Yeah. Were you going to be attending Tuscon this year? Yes, I'd like to do that too. Sometimes I get Tuscon and Tucson Comic Con. I get those two mixed up sometimes. Uh, you know, I forget which one comes first. And yeah, I, I'd like to go to both. Absolutely. Yeah, and I've I've got friends telling me about Flagstaff, and I'm like, oh, really? Okay. <laughs> you know, I, I I haven't been to Flagstaff yet. So <laughs> yeah, there are lots of places we can go. Uh, one one reason why I'm going to Las Vegas, Nevada, I, I've been doing that for the last three years. Uh, I lived in Las Vegas from 2008 to 2012, and I have friends uh, who not only put us up, they actually they actually helped me man booths. You know, they helped me man tables. <laughs> yeah, oh yeah, it's terrific. All of this is important, and all of this is part of my books, and I want to share the the fun of sitting around a table, imagining yourself as a, a different character playing in a far-flung environment oh yes the consequences can be severe if you do anything stupid (laughs) to give you an example i had a i had a young player once uh he he was a ranger and he was wearing a heavy banded male with a shield and a sword well uh the party came across a very nice pool water pool which was full of healing potions and he's like, wow, this is terrific. I'd jump in the pool. And I'm like, are you sure you'd want to do that? And he's like, yeah, I'll jump into the pool. And I'm like, well, the pool is 100 feet deep, and you're wearing banded armor. Uh, you sink to the bottom and drown. I mean, even, even if you try to get the armor off, you won't get it off before you drown. Uh, please roll up a new character. And he was like, what? And I'm like, you just jump. You, you're wearing full banded, banded male armor with a shield, and you're carrying a backpack, and you jump into a 100-foot pool? Look before you leap or use that 10-foot pole. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> so, um, so I, I, I once saw some – I wish I kept it, uh, or I wish I copied it from uh, the Internet. I once saw a wonderful uh, – all I, all, I le- all I ever need to know in life I learned from Advanced Dungeons and & Dragons, and it had like a long list of stuff, and I, I wish I saved it. But anyway, um, getting back to my books, I try to capture the excitement – the, the wonder in finding a magic item or learning how to use psionics or discovering like, gee, so that's why those, that's why the, those dwarves think the way they do, or that's why uh, maybe the Palomaran Empire is a little heavy handed on some of the uh, demi-humans. You know, like, uh, <laughs> you know, like we, we all know in Palomar, it's the human super race, right? <laughs> like, uh, uh, humans have to rule everything, you know? And, uh, I mean, that, that's changing by book three. That'll be interesting to see how the politics play out there. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, that, uh, yeah, yeah, you rebel scum. You know, like, <laughs> That's because we're both enlightened and sophisticated and imaginative fellows who 
are part of our amazing uh, arcane subculture, Jim. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, but good heavens. Um, now, uh, what, what else would that, what else? I, again, I'll go all night if you let me. What, what would you like to hear now? Okay. So the big thing is where can uh, folks find you on the internet, uh, Facebook, Twitter, website, things like that? Yes. All, all of these places. Um, the best place, the best place it, besides my website, um, it would be uh, Amazon, I would think. Not only can they o- order my books uh, from paperback editions, they can also order the, uh, the Kindle and the e-books and the, the, the electronic book. Of course, they can find them anywhere. And as I said before, my books can actually be ordered through Ingram Distributors, thanks to Arizona Publishing. My books can be ordered from any local bookstore if you have my if you have my full name and the title to my book. Let me review all that. My full name is John Paul is my middle name, Reed, R I E D. My first book is Reckless Ambitions. Ooh, that reminds me how regale me how I came up with the title for my book after this. My first book is Reckless Ambitions. The Medford Family Chronicles, uh, uh, Volume 1. The Medford Family Chronicles is my overarching connecting plot for all of my books so far. The second book is called Capricious Deities, uh, Volume 2. And uh, the third book, of course, is called Pivotal Ruckus, Volume 3. Now, uh, again, the Medford Family Chronicles. Now, Reckless Ambitions, Patty Holstrand and I agonized over the title for a long time. We were trying all sorts of different things, and we were getting nowhere. We just couldn't figure out what would be a good title. She wanted something short, just two words. She wanted something short, just two words. We were, we were trying all sorts of combinations, and it was so funny. I, I pulled out an old Harlequin romance book that was uh, entitled, it was actually entitled, Reckless Abandoned. And I was like thinking about that, and I was like, you know what? How about Reckless Ambition? You've got four royal brothers. Their father just died, and four royal brothers are quarreling over the kingdom. You've got a cleric, a fighter, a magic user, and a quote-unquote thief, uh, godfather, mafia businessman type. And uh, wouldn't it be great? How about Reckless Ambition? Meaning, these with an S. These guys are ready to destroy the entire Palomaran Empire. They don't care that they're fighting family, just so long as they win, right? And so, so that, now that was a long process. Now the second title, Capricious Deities. I don't know how, Jim. I came up like that. Just somebody asked me, "Well, what's going to be the second book?" What do we? Uh, Patty asked me, "What are we? What are we going to entitle the second book?" I just simply said capricious deities. I have a lot of deities, uh, yes, from other mythoses as, as well as just the Palomaran mythos and pe- pantheon. And I'm constantly developing my Palomaran pantheon. There is room for expansion. But um, uh, with all of these uh, deities getting involved with, in mortal affairs, uh, as, as you're familiar with book two, uh, you can remember what Epona Twilight did uh, during, the, during the Battle of Grabantalo, you know, with mm-hmm. the cavalry, I'm sure you remember. Oh, yeah. um, again, uh, I just came up with it like that. Boom. Capricious deities, you know, arbitrary and capricious, you know, pitch metal one moment and hey, let's play food uh, at dinner tonight, you know, <laughs> right? 
Right. That's sort of that's sort of Machiavellian capriciousness. Like, uh, hey, we don't want this guy too famous. He might challenge me. <laughs> anyway, but uh, okay. The third book uh, that came out relatively painlessly, but we were trying everything. I wanted Awesome Invasion, the Invasion Armada, or you know, all you know, uh, you know the, and then we were trying all sorts of things with Dragon in the title, like Dragon's Heart, Dragon's Hope. I even came up with a long title. I wanted to call it a, a local Dragon's Tale, you know, T A I L. But uh, Patty and I, we kept working on it, and we came up. Pivotal ruckus, meaning it's very, very important. It's, it's continent and world-shattering events, but they all happen around these local yokel, local yokel of islands. So, so ruckus, you know, like uh, having a ruckus at the local tavern, right, a brawl or whatever. Pivotal ruckus. We we came up with that one. Now, do you want to hear the title for book four? That uh, a very dear friend of mine just uh, a very dear friend of mine just gave me right off the top of her head. Oh heck yeah! Uh, she was a she was uh, she was a landlord for me last year, and her best friend is my landlord this year, Jen Zepio and uh, Brittany Voigt. These two ladies are wonderful. Uh, Brittany Voigt, we all call her Brie. She uh, she's actually she she actually played one of my D and D characters, and I'm putting that character in the book. <laughs> and, uh, and she's got a she's got a major part. And by the way, uh, by the way. Jim, I'm excited about one thing. With my fourth book, I'm fine. I'm finally doing it, Jim. I'm finally doing a dungeon crawl in the fourth book. <laughs> so we got the Dungeons and the Dragons. I, I finally have a party of adventurers going underground to fulfill a quest. Now that only covers about a third of the book. I, I have other things planned, like uh, the Big Nine Hells attack on the Game Masters University. And uh, well, anyway, we, the fourth book is entitled Ready. Academic Mayhem. Nice. Academic Mayhem, The Medford Family Chronicles, Volumes 1. And uh, it centers on the Game Masters University. Originally, I wanted to entitle the book The Game Masters University Freshman Student Handbook. But that even I, Patty didn't even have to tell me. Even I knew that was too long. <laughs> so, so, but yeah, Academic Mayhem. And, <laughs> um, that's going to be the fourth book. Very nice. I could definitely see the Game Masters uh, Academy having something to do with yep. something. And uh, hey, um, again, Jim. Um, uh, uh, yeah. What what else would you? I mean, again, I'll I'll talk all night if you let me. I'm 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 thrilled that you're indulging me like this. I'm actually outside. I'm outside uh, my uh, the home I'm staying in right now. Um, I. Uh, some of the neighborhood children are running around and playing and stuff, and uh, I wanted to be—I wanted to be somewhere where it's nice and quiet, where we could chat a bit. What else would you like me to go over now? How about uh, shout out for your gaming groups because I know they're pretty important for you. Uh-huh. Yes, I've been very fortunate. For two years, I've run a game at Imperial Outpost Games in Glendale, Arizona. Darren Johnson is the owner of this store. Now, I have to confess, Jim. Currently, I'm not running any games right now. I am running, well, not quite true. I am running a very small private game for my landlady, uh, Brittany Voigt, who I mentioned. Uh, her, her, her boyfriend and one or two other friends, and we do play on Monday nights. But once I complete book four, which I expect to complete within the next three or four months, and once, 
once I'm, I'm making a transition uh, from one uh, from one employment to another, once I'm more established with that, uh, I should be running again another gaming group at uh, Imperial Outpost Games in Glendale, Arizona. Darren Johnson is the owner, and we were Darren and I were actually talking about uh, we were actually talking about uh, Tuesday nights, <laughs> and uh, so again. Uh, uh, there are plans to start up my gaming group again. Now, sometimes I do first edition D&D. This private game I'm doing, I'm actually doing Pathfinder. I have played in fifth edition D&D. What I like about fifth edition D&D is much better than fourth. Don't get me started on fourth. But uh, fifth, fifth edition D&D uh, actually returns a lot to their original roots. Uh, with first edition and I found fifth edition very very comfortable and uh, I, I like the design I like the the skills and the feats are great but they're not like they're not like over a thousand of them to pick from like there are in 3.5 or Pathfinder <laughs> I mean I, well okay I'm I, I, I love D&D and I'm I, I'm glad I have a perspective I have a unique perspective over all the editions you know I can I could if you if you gave me another four or five hours, I could spend an hour on each edition. What was good about it? What was not so good? What could have been improved? And yeah, I. <laughs> gosh, hey, I, that could always be another episode. I mean, I've got uh, four or five friends who'd love to do it—a uh, episode about editions, and uh, a a non-argumentative yes. editions war. Because yes. everyone's, and when it comes to fifth edition, everyone loves the advantage disadvantage system. But hey. We can definitely see if we can get uh, something else scheduled to have to have an addition wars. Excellent. Excellent. Um, what, what, <laughs> um, one thing that broke my heart about second edition AD&D, they, uh, they wanted to get away from devils, angels, and uh, demons, this terminology that was freaking out all of the uh, right-wing conservatives, uh, church people in the 80s. So, uh, of course, you have tieflings now. <laughs> Uh, instead of uh, demons, you know, like, you know, uh, I mean, okay, no, but but now with fifth edition D and D, they're returning to all of that. So I'm like, yay! <laughs> yeah, they're back to everything can be used again, which is nice. Right, exactly. And uh, anyway, Jim, I um, good heavens, I I want to thank you for. Uh, I hope you can make sense out of everything I've said and put it together in a in a nice presentation. I, I have every confidence in you. I just hope I haven't been too random or uh, or too long oh no you've been fantastic my friend I mean John I, I love talking well, with you uh, one other thing I'd like to say um, people ask some people ask me about my own views on things and uh, I get into so much trouble I, I'm probably one of the one of the few last manifest destiny Americans who want us to reunify the whole planet, you know, but, uh, but even aside from that, yes, I'm Christian. Yes. I'm Presbyterian. That's a Protestant mainline Protestant. And yes, I'm a gamer. Uh, this might sound really very strange for me to say, but one day I hope to end up in heaven. And guess what? If Jesus Christ wants to play in my game, I'd be thrilled. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. I'll help him roll up a character. 
good heavens. I, uh, I, I try to put a sense of divine justice in my books. You know, uh, I mean, if you're, if you're really an evil, nasty character who threatens children or just gleefully and cheerfully wants to kill people, uh, you know, something's going to happen to them. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> they got it coming. Yes. And, uh, and well, again, I, um, I, I, I want to write books that I want to read, that I would enjoy reading. And I, I admit um, my dream now is to uh, get um, Steven Spielberg, Mike Newell, um, James Cameron, you know, one, one of these big movie directors to offer me the three-movie deal. You know, the, <laughs> every, <laughs> that would be awesome. Everybody wants the Harry Potter deal. But, uh, but again... Um, uh, guess what? I plan to keep writing books. I, um, in the middle of four, I seem to be averaging about one book a year, and uh, and from what I'm told, that's actually pretty good for most writers. <laughs> and, uh, after book four, I'm going to start a new series still in Palomar. I'm going to call it Palomar and Legends. You know, like Legends of the Heroes of the you know. The, <laughs> and I've got a great idea, Jim. I've got a great idea for a uh, supernatural western uh wouldn't wouldn't it be fun uh yes i know this has been done before with the uh, vampires and werewolves running around in all wild wild west uh towns with six guns and stuff like that but wouldn't it be cool to pull in things like succubi or psionics nice. or wizards and uh, suddenly suddenly they find themselves defending a small town from a from a evil e- evil demonic attack or something like this or uh i I'm thinking ancient Mayan deities trying to rise up, and oh gosh, we, gee, the, uh, the whole mountain is shaking. We got to do something. You know? <laughs> Nothing be- brings a group together more than a bigger evil, especially one that's going to get them. Oh, absolutely. Whether whether it's Native Americans, whether it's uh, Chinese immigrants, whether it's uh, uh, Mexican immigrants, whether it's uh, waspy Protestant preachers, whether it's uh, you know. Uh, Civil War veterans, uh, again, yeah, there's endless stuff I could do with this. So uh, I hope to keep writing, uh, and I hope I hope my death is a long time away. I'd like to end up I'd like to end up like Robert Jordan with like you know twenty twenty five (laughs) books. But uh, but hey, uh, Jim, uh, I want to thank you so much for letting me come on the show here. Uh, I please 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 send me the link for this as soon as you get everything together. I will I will promote it everywhere. Uh, I I think you know I I'm I'm pretty good at that on Facebook and other places. <laughs> oh, you are super supportive of the artistic community, so I have no doubt about that. Yeah, I'm 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 just so afraid that uh, some some places are like, oh no, John again is sharing something. I'm the same way. But I uh, hate. I'll 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 let you get going, Jim, and I just want to leave you with this one last thought. That uh, I would say this to any writer: you got to be passionate about what you're writing. You gotta you gotta just uh you gotta just stick at it. You can't just write a chapter and drop it for three or four years. That's because if you do that, chances are you won't return to it. You got to find something you just can't wait to share with everybody and write about that. Well, thank you very much for that, John. I mean, seriously. And thank you for being my friend and being on the show. Absolutely. And I'm, I'm, I'm honored and thrilled and honored to be your friend, Jim and, and Kate. And, uh, please, I beg you finish book three and, uh, call me with some more feedback on it. 
I'd I'd love I'd love to know what you think, and then then I'll tell you about a real surprise on the cover of book three. Oh, that's a good teaser. That's that's yes. going to motivate me to hurry and get back to you. <laughs> yes, and uh, I don't want to I don't want to spoil anything, but uh, when when you finish the book, you'll look at the cover in a new light. <laughs> <laughs> Well, John, I just got to say thank you very much for being on the show, my friend. And everybody, check out John on Amazon, on Facebook. I mean, he John is a great guy. His books are awesome, great reads. You know, one of these days we got to get together and have a D&D game and, and, and get that out. We'll probably have to fight over who gets to GM that game. <laughs> and everybody, thank you guys for listening. And have a great week. Uh, everybody, keep writing and keep playing D&D. <laughs> Thank you for listening to the Creative Play and Podcast Network. And feel free to enjoy our other shows, such as D&D Journey of the Fifth Edition and Scion Ragnarok and Roll, a Scion hero to Ragnarok story. Thank you for listening. <laughs>